On this episode, we discuss Deadly Lessons. And the lesson is, watch this movie. everyone and welcome to the flop house i'm dan mccoy oh hey there dan mccoy it's me Stuart wellington your friend i'm oh. elliot kalen i also fall into the category of friend not just to dan but also to Stuart. three friends uh-huh. are we yes friends are <laughs> us uh-huh. and that's what this is this is a podcast where three friends are friends and they talk about friend stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> so in particular friends. the way that friends sometimes watch movies and then talk about it what oh, do we do yeah, this yeah. week dan on the friend cast <laughs> welcome to the friend okay. house <laughs> Well, we uh, this during uh, September at the friend uh-huh. house. Yep, we celebrate uh, Small Timber, Small Timber, which yep. is a uh, made-up holiday month All where we watch. Are made up. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, there's Good a point. lot of religious people who'll be very unhappy with you saying that, Stuart. <laughs> oh, burn! They can come find me at Dan's apartment. <laughs> I mean, Wait, you I do have, have a, but also, Stuart, you have like a public business <laughs> that people can go to to talk uh-huh. to you face to face and write mean Yelp reviews. Apparently, <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I'm sorry about that. I thought it would be a funny goof if I wrote a thousand mm, mean Yelp reviews about your bar. Not a goof. Not a goof, <laughs> Elliot. <laughs> Uh, okay, I where was I? Oh, Small Timber. That's where we watch Small movies Amber. that are slightly smaller than we normally do. Now, this movie uh-huh. is probably... And sometimes the, very old. Yeah, this is from 2006. This is probably the largest uh, small movie. Well, that, this had a reported uh, budget of $30 million. Would you make it a mid-sized movie these days? I guess it's all on the screen, you know? Uh, uh-huh. I mean, to be honest, it does look better than most yeah. of the Small Vember movies we see. I mean, like... This production, production value wise, compared to something like Love on a Leash from last year, this mm-hmm. is like, you know, uh, Saving Private Ryan production value. Well, did wise. you look into the? I mean, they had like the cinematographers were like there was a guy from Bad Boys, there was a guy from uh, what was the other thing? Oh, Bad Boys Two. No, no, uh, Jesus! I should have had this. I thought I would remember this information, well, and now secret, it's gone away. The secret is that this movie is a Crystal Sky production. Crystal uh-huh. Sky is the company that also makes the Baby Geniuses movies, among other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was founded by Stephen Paul, who's also John Voight's manager, which is why uh-huh. John Voight is also involved in a lot of these things. But this seems to be, and I'm not quite sure. So according to IMDb, which is very uh, not always the best source, uh, it was co-written by Simon Paul. And it was co-written and directed and I think starring Stuart Paul. So yep. it's like, are they, was it just three brothers got together to make a movie? And if so, yep. why do, why is it not about three brothers who are always bickering and have to, uh-huh. I guess, bury their they're, mom their, or something? The, their fourth brother, Aaron Paul, was too busy making Breaking Bad. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, guys. Exactly. I wanted their, to say And their the... fifth brother, Paul of Tarsus, was busy having died over a thousand years ago. You know, almost two thousand years ago. Yeah, that keeps it pretty busy. Oh, God. Yeah. This, this, this movie had two cinematographers. Uh-huh. Uh, one, Douglas Milsom uh, did Full Metal Jacket and The Last of the Mohicans, another, other, among <laughs> other movies. The other, Howard Atherton, did Bad Boys, Fatal Attraction, Deep Rising. I know you love Deep Rising, Stu. Yeah, so, because I got two eyes and uh, the ability to watch movies. Yeah, so there's that, and the composer 
is uh, Michelle Legrand, who did The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. So, and was it there... edited by the editor of Jeepers Creepers? Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> so the guy, this this is a vanity project, but it's a vanity project by a guy with a lot of Hollywood connections who was able to raise $30 million mm-hmm. to put his uh, his nutty vision on screen. And that, yeah. that madman is uh, Stuart Paul, another mm-hmm. one of us handsome Hollywood stewards. <laughs> He is, he, Me, uh, so, Stuart Pankin, now Stuart Paul. That's the, the pantheon grows. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Uh, all the Stewarts. Gloria Stewart. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the main guy looks kind of like a cross between like Steve Gutenberg now and Thin Pin Gillette. Like he's he's in this. I, I kind of considered him like a cross between Howard Stern <clears throat> and Neil Gaiman. Yes, yeah. those are good ones too. Yeah, he looks a lot like a stepdad who always wears sandals with socks. Mm-hmm. But thinks he's really cool. Like he goes to a lot of Steely Dan concerts. He's always uh-huh. rocking out in the garage and asking you to join him. And uh-huh. look, I don't want to. You know, I don't know. I don't know the man personally. I don't want to say anything about what he might be like as. A I mean, human if you being. did, if you did, it would be incredibly unethical for you <laughs> to then go on and slam his movie. But yeah. but but on screen, like as the lead to this movie, you know, like the the movie has John Voight, Oscar winner John Voight, and then like. A, a cabal of what I would say are competent actors, and then it has yep. this lead performance, which is bereft of any sort of charisma or energy. It's like a hole in the middle of the donut. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jordan, can you just uh, can you just uh, loop in the uh, monologue that uh, Daniel Craig does in uh, uh-huh. in Knives Out, please? Uh, okay, guys, wait. Okay, uh, yeah, still oh, going. Go, I still okay. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I don't uh-huh. know if you know how cutting works, Stuart. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. It's we're gonna. She's gonna do it live, right? She's gonna do an overlay. Is what uh-huh. you're saying? Okay, yeah. I get it. All right. Well, let's pause for that. Yes. Yeah, so, no, no. We and, already did it, Dan. Oh, okay. Yeah, we already did it. We're not. Stuart finished that Craig. bit. Why do we? Anyway, why don't I just talk about this movie, huh? So anyway, this is uh, technically I'm gonna I'm gonna allow it as Judge Kalen. I'm gonna allow this to be a small member movie. Uh, Jordan, please put in that gavel sound effect. I'll allow mm-hmm. it. This is officially <laughs> yes. a small member, even though it's much uh-huh. bigger and, than others. And it comes and from professionals. Little, add in that little animation we made of Elliot crossing his arms and nodding his head. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, like he's a genie while the gavel's being slammed down. Yeah, and then the and then the wind blows up my judge robes and it's just heart boxer shorts underneath. Uh-huh. Yeah. But nobody laughs because uh, we all take Elliot very seriously. Yeah, no, that's the authority I have as a judge. Is even no, after we've... seeing that I'm just wearing underpants under the robe, you're still like, yeah, but his mind is first rate, first well, rate legal I mean... mind. If anything, if anything, we fear you more at that point because the fact that you may feel embarrassed makes us scared to see what you know, like what, what vengeance you may wreak on us if we laugh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I'm an angry god. Yeah. Speaking of gods, this movie is somewhat about the existence of God, but not really. Let's get into it, shall we? And I'll mention okay. that uh, my notes for this movie are very long, so I've condensed them. They're not quite as short as I'd like them to be normally, but there's. Okay. A lot that happens in this movie, and I'm not going to go into... So if there's any details that you guys, uh, that I'm skipping over, feel free to stop me and introduce them, because I now, cannot go into every detail. I do have one question, Elliot, and is that, did you take notes on the Tubi commercials that you watched, because Tubi is the only place you can find this movie <laughs> I streaming. did not. This is already a long movie. It is over two and a quarter hours long, and yet yeah. Tubi is the only place you can watch it online, and they put commercials in frequently. So it was and like, I, oh boy. <laughs> so I, I had to set up a Tubi account in order to watch this movie, and no, this is no slam against Tubi. I kind of want to leave my profile having only watched this movie. <laughs> <laughs> It does. Uh, Stuart, you can leave it after you find out what <laughs> movies Tubi suggests to you now. 
after oh, having no. watched only this movie. Okay, yep. That's what I'm well, curious Well, it immediately about. the it immediately went from on mine it was just about to start playing Alex Cross before I shut down the oh, website oh, angrily. Cool. Mine, because uh, I did not need to see Alex five Cross corners. again. So what? I don't know what that's five corners. I don't know why What's they that? chose that. I don't know. It started oh, with uh, the sequel to uh, four yesterday corners. on the soundtrack by the Beatles. So uh-huh. And it just about it was, money, I it guess. was firing up, and Audrey's like, "Stop it, Dan! Stop it, Dan!" And then the two of you were both typing on the computer at the same time to try and stop the feed, and it wouldn't happen. <laughs> yeah. And then Elliot then, came over and unplugged it, and you're like, "Elliot!" Then he nodded his head, gavel sound, everybody laughed. <laughs> yep. Stuart, you'll old be person no, wins again. <laughs> we're taping this the day after Rosh Hashanah, and at last night's Rosh Hashanah dinner, I described to my in-laws that very scene. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Uh, it's Blue Sky Productions. Oh no, Crystal Sky. Sorry, Crystal Sky mm-hmm. Productions comes up in uh, Comic Sans. In Comic Sans, the logo is the the is the cheapest looking logo you can get. <laughs> and uh, we start hearing some voiceover by a guy who says that his mom says his mind is messed up, messed up. And for help, she's going to go to one Simon Conjurer, who's kind of conjurer, a long haired yeah. guy who it's pronounced Conjurer, and mm-hmm. he has kind of a New York accent. The rural Conjurer. Like I said, he reminds <laughs> me of Howard Stern crossed with Neil Gaiman, but he's steeped in existential whimsy, as we'll learn. And we're introduced to him as he is teaching a classroom of children not to fear flying by literally talking them into having the magical ability to fly around the classroom like they're little mm-hmm. miniature airplanes. Mm-hmm. And the music that is playing tells us we're in real Wonder Emporium territory. This is supposed yeah. to be magical and amazing you know yeah it's it's the kind of score that charles band dreams of filling <laughs> his castle halls well it's also one of these uh movie uh, uh it is a, a movie class. yes <laughs> one of these movie classes where you're like wait what is being taught here because it starts off like not yeah, to be like, frightened oh, flying on airplanes need to be frightened flying but then like he has a globe that he takes out that turns into a a, a bird oh yeah and he's like okay we got to take care of the earth and i'm like and and then he's asking the kids, oh, what did we learn here today? And I'm like, yeah, what did we learn here today? Is this what my tax dollars are going to? It's, so it's I'm a conjurer. And later, it's, it, the thing is also that later there's some trouble about whether the dean of his school is going to throw him out, I guess. And it's not clear if the – is that the dean of this elementary school? Because usually they're called principals. <laughs> like you don't yeah. usually have deans for elementary schools, and <laughs> mm-hmm. it's just very. Uh, I guess for like a private school, maybe this is a fancy private school, and it's one of those private mm-hmm. schools where it costs a lot of money, and celebrities send their kids there, but they don't actually teach them very yeah. much. You know, yeah, uh, I mean, this is a dean that later a on. Not not to jump too far ahead, but this is a dean who later on has the ability to command the police to arrest someone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's part of being a dean. So. Uh, Simon, he has a reputation for curing the seemingly incurable. And the mom, Betsy, she says, oh, there was a man in my neighborhood who called himself Mr. Evil. He was mm-hmm. a he was a violent homeless man. But now that you talk to him, he just runs around distributing candy to people, to strangers, which I would say is it's another form of violence. If I was yeah. <laughs> walking down the street, I do not want a stranger shoving candy into my hands, especially if he still calls himself Mr. Evil. But she has a son <laughs> named who calls himself Rebel, who hates everything. And, the, and mm-hmm. this is the beginning of the movie is... Uh, Apparently he doesn't hate on-the-nose nicknames. <laughs> yeah. no. this, this is the beginning of the movie's, the movie's lack of sense... Thank you. This is the beginning of the movie's lack of sensitivity about uh, emotional issues and that we're told that he tried to uh, jump off a building but was saved by landing in a mattress truck. Uh, so we're living in a cartoon world for sure. Simon, he says there's only one thing to do, so next scene he has kidnapped rebel and handcuffed him to the inside of this big truck that he has that's full of video screens playing a self-help video that simon made and mm-hmm. it's it's not the, it's weird because we never see anything like this 
in terms of Simon ever again. It's like, <laughs> why does he have this Simon mobile full of screens playing his videos? <laughs> And he's handcuffed a young man to it. It doesn't make sense. And they argue for a long time. Rebel gets free, and then Simon gives him some money and lets him crash his truck. And so Rebel agrees to go with Simon to his late-night self-help class. But first, we're going to have to meet the real star of the show. That's right, John Voight as Dr. Krazex, a Pulitzer, a Pulitzer Prize-winning psychologist who either writes novels or self-help books. It's not clear. And yeah. guys, I want you to describe this performance for me. Well, well first, I want to specify for the audience, uh, if you're asking how Krazex is spelled, it is spelled the traditional way, like crazy, but replace the Y with an X. Mm-hmm. Uh, and John Voight is wearing, um, like, nose and face prosthetics like he is Orson Welles reborn. And but but Orson Welles like playing I don't know like Doctor Robotnik in a cartoon or <laughs> <Yes>. something like <laughs> he is constantly stuffing his face with candy and now we can all I think we can all agree that John Voight the person not cool not a not someone dude. not someone we approve of no but Doctor Krasex in this movie <laughs> brings a lot of energy yeah. he is, he is, I, he I would cost- argue this is the only performance that comes close to uh, successfully doing what the movie <laughs> needs. I mean, this like, is the biggest performance I think I've ever seen yeah. in a movie. It's so big and over the top, and it's he has an English accent, but he's always wheezing and like, like it's he's trying to do. I assume he's trying to do Sydney Green Street, basically. Like uh-huh. this kind of yeah. jovial, big, fat, wheezing guy who's always eat, eating candy and hopping around like a little imp. Like he, he, there's everyone else in this movie is striving to appear as if they're like a one-dimensional version of a real person and he's yes. like no 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 no. i'm going to be a multi-dimensional version of a fake person i'm going to give <laughs> yeah, you yeah, this yeah. The, the biggest most energetic fake person that never existed you know and it is he, like a bugs bunny villain is hopping through this movie <laughs> it feels like he has defined he has decided i am going to make the most loathsome character that everyone hates and i'm going to play it crazy and i'm going to make sure that everyone treats me like crap like that is his like it's this weird like masochistic desire where he's like i want my kink today is everyone being mean to me and i'm gonna be a mean weirdo <laughs> well also i we haven't addressed the um the dialogue in this movie quite yet but um simon oh, it's, it's Conj- wonderful i have wait can i can i wait you said finish what you're saying and i'll say my favorite up to this moment in the movie piece of dialogue <laughs> okay well simon conjurer in particular talks in a like this very uh literary uh, extravagant way like he's proclaiming something off of a scroll most of the time mm-hmm. but and it would be okay if one character in the movie talked that way but you know, from time to time, every character in the movie will talk in this very affected, strange, high language manner. And uh, John Voight is also the only one who comes close to making that dialogue work. Like, it makes sense coming out of a, a crazed performance. It, it makes sense coming out of a character who seems to have, uh, who seems to be a trickster of, of mythology, yes. who is like come out and is, and basically is a hobgoblin of some kind. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but there's, yeah, Dan, I want to mention my favorite up to this moment piece of Simon Conjurer dialogue is uh, Betsy says, you've got to help my son. She says, I'll pay you anything. And he says, you can afford such. And it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like one, they haven't, they haven't, named a price so, but d- you can afford such and then he agrees to do it for free but it's also this guy has such a like he, uh like such a tri-state area new york new jersey yes. accent that it you can afford yes. such and it's like uh-huh. come on 
He is like yes. the he's like the Gandalf of Burrow Park. <laughs> that guy, yes, exactly. That should have been he's, the title of the movie. Yes, he's like a he is a bad Renaissance fair cosplayer with like long curly hair and like yeah, <laughs> yeah he's a, yeah, he's, a he's an interesting guy. He's an interesting, interesting guy. Um, and then later on, we're, later on, it's implied that he and John Voight have known each other since they were children, which makes no sense. Yeah. Like, unless one of them was an exchange student, I don't understand. Oh, so John but Voight, Doctor Krasax, he's uh, he's talking to Dean Elkwood, uh, who is the dean of the school Simon teaches at. Again, it's not clear if it's the elementary school or if it is the school where his night classes, the college where his night classes are done. Yeah. And he says, Simon Conjurer is a menace. And he, go, But he says that in 700 more words than I just said it. He goes on and on and on. And you need to fire him or I'll pull my name and my funding from this school. That's something that is never touched on again, that apparently he has some kind of leverage over this school. Why he would, I don't know. But it's. But anyway, she... And the dean he, is kind of introduced initially on uh, initially on Krasex's side, right? Well, At it, least that was the impression implied, I got. And then she reveals we, that she secretly uh, yes. was a former student of his. And yeah. a former lover. And so the... She has a. We see her first smoking a cigar, which is usually movie shorthand for either this is an elderly comedian or an evil person or evil mm-hmm. rich person. But it turns out it's neither. She's just a good-hearted school administrator who loves smoking cigars in her office, I guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she seems to be going along with him until he leaves, and then she goes, "You really are crazy," or something like that. She ha- opens her drawer where there is a framed picture of her and Simon. Okay, so Simon and Rebel they show up at Simon's night school self-help group therapy class. And we go through, there's a group of people there who each have one specific vice, and we go through yes. all of them in extreme detail. And it's like one guy has an overeating problem, one woman has an anorexia problem, one guy's a drug addict, oh no, one woman's a drug addict, one's an alcoholic, one is a depressive named Tears. They all have like offensive uh-huh. nicknames too. And, yeah, uh, and it, Oh, like, but I feel like they probably deal with all of the emotional problems with, uh, you know, a fair amount of solemnity, right? Like they <laughs> no, deal with it, is, it pretty reasonably. It's a real source of jokes. It, as uh, In my notes, I refer to it as the barest minimum of sensitivity by the filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And the characters are, their personalities are not really clear from yeah. one moment to the next. Yeah. And there's so I many of them. For the, it's, it makes me yearn for the sensitivity of moving violations and <laughs> the summer only thing, school. Or like the movie, the movie Nuts, or the or mixed nuts, or anything well, with nuts in the title. There's, yeah, there's a. The, I just want to say, is, and and jumping into this classroom, it felt like reading an X Men comic in the '90s and being like, wait, yeah. who are all these people? Hold on. Yeah, this is definitely like pitched about halfway between, uh, like Nightmare on Elm Street Three, Dream Warriors, and like a bad sitcom about <laughs> like an encounter group. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to tell people if you want to watch this movie, which is an experience, like. Uh, just be aware of watch if it on you're, Tubi because you can't see it anywhere else. If you're sensitive to um, insensitive portrayals of mental health issues, uh, you, you might you might not enjoy <laughs> that part of yeah, it. I mean, it's, and it's also there are things there are things that are treated as pathologies that are not pathologies, like a young man being sexually you know uncertain about his sexuality. You know. Yeah, it is uh, not a movie to go to for a nuanced look at uh, emotional 
problems. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. it is. I mean, as you might guess from the title, Deadly Lessons, which is. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and the classroom is filled with all uh, with all of these people and they none of them seem to be uh, happy to be there. So it made me like maybe I missed something, but. Uh, were they like court ordered to be there? Like, why did they yeah. all get kidnapped by him did in they, his van? Yes, they were. <laughs> they all chained, and then, but apparently left behind where they were safe not to leave the classroom. Yeah, I'm it's chain a, and, you to the classroom. But what you what, what, what you do there is your own thing. And yeah. you got to imagine that for the first person that he picked up and brought to the classroom, it was a long night because they had to wait yeah. for him to get one by one every other person. <laughs> what a wow! Like a weird Santa Claus. <laughs> I mean, Dan, think about it. Let's think about it. Santa Claus, as he is, is pretty weird. Okay, yeah. so he's a big, fat guy who chooses the chimney, perhaps the narrowest form of entrance to a house, mm-hmm. to go through. Mm-hmm. He delivers toys to, he says, all the children in the world, but I would beg to differ as a non-Christian child. He lives at the North Pole, not a pleasant place to live. I'll tell you why. One, cold. Two, polar bears. Three, he has a candy cane themed house, which is again strange. That's a weird thing. Uh, he also has, and I'm 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 setting across the weirdest thing about him, which I guess is not weird so much as evil. That he has enslaved both a group of little people to make toys for him, and also yeah. a herd of reindeer. And the reindeers have uh-huh. this have this cruel culture based around uh, taunting and verbally assaulting any members of the reindeer group who have different noses than the yeah. rest of the group. There's a lot about Santa Claus that's and weird. Kind of glossing over the thing that I think is weirdest is that he's played by Tim Allen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, only that Santa Claus was. <laughs> what? I mean, that movie wasn't it, specifically. Tim Allen wasn't in the sequel. That movie specifically <laughs> postulates that there have been several Santa Clauses over. Over the course of history, you're right. And if you kill one, you become one. What's there's yeah. nothing weird about that. That's it's such a it's a, I mean it's a ballsy move for a children's movie to start with the main character murdering Santa Claus. Yeah, imagine being in that pitch meeting. <laughs> Let it, okay, now, stay with me, guys. I'm gonna pitch a movie to you. It's a children's movie. Now, five minutes in, you're gonna think I'm a madman, but you have, promise me you will wait till five more minutes. Give me five more after that because it will he, get. He's whimsical. locked the door. He, we can't get out. Because <laughs> uh, now you'll have to listen to my pitch, Mr. Jones. Why? If you want the antidote to the poison you just swallowed. <laughs> I, I guess it's Dr. Jones. It's not to, Mr. Jones. Uh, if you're the screenwriter to the Santa Claus, you know, write in, let us know how close this scenario was to your actual pitch experience. Yeah. yeah. We'd love when to you, know. When you pitched yeah, it, did you, have to say, did you have to say, stay with me now, stay with me? Uh, okay, so uh, among, and I just want to mention that among the students is a woman played by Skylar Shea, who flop fans may recognize as Chloe from Bratz, the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's in a bunch of baby geniuses things. I looked her up on Wikipedia. She's apparently John Voight's goddaughter, which is why oh. there's so much crossover between their projects. And sometimes performers just click, you know? I get it. Yeah, it's yeah. not like Robert De Niro is Martin Scorsese's godson. I'm but, not, I, look, I'm not saying that Wait she doesn't have, Wait a have minute. the Maybe talent he to is. make it on her own. I'm just saying that, you know, they probably like to work together. Yeah. Yeah, probably. I mean, they—it's they, a because fa- it's a family thing. You know, they've known each other for so long, affair. and that's why in this movie they share zero scenes together. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Simon hands everyone in class big leather-bound books. These are your real like grimoire type ancient tomes, mm-hmm. and it turns out to be a novel called *Prophet Without a God*. And the mm-hmm. text in the book describes the students in the class, and it describes a teacher just like Simon Conjurer, but it gives him a different name. 
which is a detail that the book seems to forget, and it just starts calling him Simon later on. But the teacher, it mentions, had lost faith that there was a god, which had driven him to an existential dread. The book also, it, they're all like, "This is you wrote this, you wrote this, and you just handed it out. And he goes, there's information in there that I don't know, keep reading. And the book, then we go through as the book describes every single person in the class's tattoos or scars, and each one of them has to prove it's true by <laughs> revealing their tattoos and scars. It goes on forever, and it doesn't end, and for some reason, one of the uh, tears, the, the woman with depression, has to pull down her pants to show them her butt, yeah. because she thinks she has a tattoo there. This whole scene, I was just like, this, how, why is this still going, why does the male model have to show us he only has one nipple? Well, I don't understand. Also, this, this poor character, like, yeah, the scene ends on this uh, woman being bullied into mooning the class and uh she's then assaulted after while she's mooning them well, well verbally that, I mean, yeah the, they no, are but the they thing are. is like later on you find out like blessedly they do not show this but the the implication is that she was uh molested as a child so like looking back on that scene like it's it, it feels even worse than, like they're like no no pull your pants down like <laughs> Yeah, that's not the bad light enough on its own. I'm just saying, like yeah. that character, don't do that. Yeah, I just when when the character is bullied into showing everyone her butt, it's not the whimsical magical moment that the soundtrack would have us believe <laughs> yes, it is. Exactly, guys. We're like 40 minutes into the movie, and I gotta say, why the fuck do they pronounce it conjurer, guys? <laughs> it like as soon as I heard it, I'm, I was shouting, "What the fuck!" And I roused my sleeping wife, who well, was blissfully uh, sleeping and not watching the movie. with me. See, Stuart, conjurer would be too on the nose and obvious, okay. but uh, conjurer. It's now also you got possible something. that the filmmakers didn't know, like the movie Coven, how, like, <laughs> oh, okay. uh, the, the, the long thing in American movie, how it's like, well, he thinks that Coven sounds better than Coven. Like, I wonder yeah. if they just didn't know it was pronounced conjurer, <laughs> but mm. it is annoying and strange every <laughs> single time someone in the movie says conjurer. At first, I thought it was John Voight's affectation. Like, mm-hmm. I used to do a. Uh, I used to do a, uh, a sketch with my old sketch partner, Brock Mahan, where it's about Goofus and Gallant all grown up, and Gallant has kidnapped Goofus and tied him up, and is and it's one of those things where it's like, all my life I've lived in your shadow, and he keeps calling Gallant Gallant, because he's got this very affected accent. I yeah. thought it was that, but no, they just all say Conjurer, and it's a very, mm-hmm. it's a weird choice. It's an interesting choice. But then again, I think there are no right choices in this entire movie. Sure. <laughs> like, yep. There's no choice in it that I can mention. I mean, I mean there's I mean, a waterfall later that I think works out, but, well, you know, we'll go on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the point, the part where uh, where John Voight's character lustfully uh, uh, fondles a penis's statue before <laughs> lifting it up to reveal a hidden gun underneath, maybe that maybe that was the right choice. I don't know. But anyway, or the, the, the well, moment. The it's a real Zardoz reference there. Yeah. The moment where Guns someone pushes, the moment where someone pushes a button and a pig is shot out through a tube into a snake's mouth, maybe that's... That was the right choice. I don't know. We'll get to those scenes, but okay. So uh, the book it tells them that Doctor Krazax is on his way. He's going to frame Simon for murder, and they all run out right as Krazax and the cops come in. This book, after as Stuart mentioned, there's roughly 25 minutes of them hanging out in this room. It's like you're watching a one-act play all of a sudden. They're yep. all on Team Simon now. But this book has swayed them. If they don't fix themselves and solve this mystery, they're going to be arrested as accessories for murder. Uh, What's this crime of murder? Well, we find out that one of the little kids from Simon's class has fallen to her death. Uh, it would be tasteless to just show a kid's body lying on the sidewalk while characters walked around talking about it, right? Let's go ahead. Let's do it. So they sure. do. And it, that kid is lying there for a long time. And there's little number markers on it like you would put for like bullet casings at yep. a murder scene. And I was like, what clues could these possibly be marking? I don't, I don't understand. Like the places where her teeth fell? I don't understand. But <laughs> oh, wow. 
But, uh, oh, God. And so, uh, they fell out before she fell, Dan. Oh, she's okay. a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a kid. She had loose te- she was she was on the way down and she was like, Tooth fairy, save me. So she was pulling her getting her loose teeth out just oh, so the tooth fairy no, could no, swoop in and it. save her. So uh This you know, is the only currency I have. I'm a child. There are these two detectives who are talking about the case and they're like big beefy guys with mustaches. They don't look alike enough to be twins, but they could definitely be brothers. Yeah. And one of them says the classic line, I'm sick of murder. But yeah. they're on the case, I guess. You think you think those two actors, every time they see like a Sonic commercial, they're like, that should have been us. <laughs> that should have been us. We could do that. Also, when they listen to car talk on the radio, anything uh-huh. where there's two guys, you know, they yeah. figure that should be there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the, the, I'm sick of murder is such a funny, is such a funny line to me. It's just like, um, what's that line in, in Plan 9? Something about like aliens or something like that. Can't stand them or something like that. Anyway, so <laughs> now the movie falls, and this, I'm not going to do everything in detail. This movie falls into a rhythm of, Team Simon goes from one location to another, frantically doing nothing, like just kind of frantically (laughs) getting somewhere and then just talking. And each of them takes a turn having an incredibly simplistic breakthrough where a phrase or an object suddenly reminds them of a of a repressed memory that caused their specific trauma. And as soon as they know about it, they're cured and their personal addiction goes away. Simon, meanwhile, does nothing, says nothing. He yeah. sometimes I forgot he was in the movie while these characters were having their breakthroughs. I I I would like you know like I have I've been blessed with a, a, a very easy life, but a propensity toward depression. And I would say that um, it is a falsehood that understanding why your brain works a certain way uh, allows you to immediately drop that behavior. Uh, it, it, it is helpful. Don't get me wrong, but, uh, you need to work after recognizing and like turn yourself around. Going back to my uh, temple of doom reference earlier. It's as if they said to said, Dr. Jones, you just took poison. And he goes, Oh, well now I know it's killing me. Thank you. I don't need the antidote anymore. (laughs) Exactly. Now they don't need the antidote. I can just walk away because I know it's poison that's inside me. And and I think we should like, obviously we should return to this, but just to clarify, like what you were saying, like, the the gang is basically on the run with their teacher because everyone thinks their teacher killed this child and i guess <laughs> and i guess they're like sticking with him because of these magic books that you know are yep. a pretty good indication that maybe they should hang out with this guy but then, I mean, if a like, magic book tells you to do something, either it's the right thing to do or it is very much the wrong thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Depending on the most, book. If that book is if it's bound in human skin, do not listen yeah. to that book. Yeah, if it's if it's a death note, don't read it. <laughs> yeah. But Elliot's right. They do a whole lot of nothing, but the kind of general idea I think is like they're trying to find some uh some some something on Dr. Krazex to prove that uh, Simon is innocent, that Krazex yeah. is behind everything. And along the way things will happen like the gang member Scorpio will accidentally catch mm-hmm. some terrorists and have a breakthrough that he's violent because he was a, he was verbally abused by his father and then it's over. He's fine. It's okay. And yeah, he's and it's like, gonna it's gonna put him on the path to justice. <laughs> yes. Also, yeah, he basically I, becomes he, was, a, he basically becomes a vigilante. He's like, I yeah. should only fight bad people, which yeah, is not yeah. a good I, lesson. Yeah, that's what Curtis Lee will. That's what happened to him before the game of Guardian <laughs> Angel. Yeah, it was not an anti-violence message. It was just a pro-violence against the right people message. Can you yeah. explain this terrorism thing to me? Because like, so I I, 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 I guarantee have, you I can't, but I'll try. I must have. Missed a scene because yep. suddenly they're in like the back of this truck, and I assume that this truck was driven by one of them. But no, apparently they, I guess, got into the truck of a couple of terrorists yes. who had like bombs in the back, and mm-hmm. then like 
Scorpio or Scorpion or whatever his name is. His name is Scorpion. Scorpio is like, screw this. I'm not going to get chased by the cops. And he goes through a door to, I guess, the front of the truck. Mm -hmm. To the cab of the truck. And I assume, like, beats up the people driving the truck because it's a hard cut then to the truck being stopped by the side of the road (laughs) and the police having been and everyone's in a crowd and they're not being arrested under suspicion of anything even though they're in this terrorism truck the Mm -hmm. the police just take their word that they caught these bombers yes you're exactly right and i had (laughs) the exact same confusion at first Uh i thought that they had stolen a truck or had someone owned a truck since we know simon conjurer Mm -hmm. had a truck earlier maybe this is another one of his truck fleet but no Uh apparently they must have either as they were running out of the school been kidnapped by terrorists in a scene that we were not blessed enough to see or they just jumped into a passing truck to get away that truck happened to have terrorists in it, and that information is given to us after the fact when the truck yep. has already been pulled over by the— I mean, they're being chased by the police, and Scorpio goes up to do something in the in the front seat. In and the, cab, the next yeah. thing we know, the police are saying, well, you caught those terrorists, and the truck is full of C4. There's a reward for you, Mr. Scorpio. Like, you'll, you'll be getting that reward from, what, the mayor? And it, it's— it is. I, I based, exactly based on, by the way, based on later this, in the movie when awards are meted out, I'm assuming he would just go to the local bodega where they have to fork over piles of cash to him. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> how the FBI's most wanted list works. Yeah, if yeah. you if you get the award, they give you a like a chit or a coupon that you bring to bodega, yeah. and they just that's give why you, you always see uh, Dog the Bounty Hunter hanging out in bodegas. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, one of the two uh, reasons he also loves Slim Jims. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like this bears a little more examination when it actually comes up in the plot. But in general, I want to say that this movie about sort of self-actualization and, uh, you know, getting uh, rid of your emotional scars is also seems really concerned with money (laughs) because Mm. there's this part where he gets a reward and there's bets. And at the end, like... Uh, Conjurer like really cleans up on like all these bets that have been made throughout and the, the movie, and, the, and, and then... the, everyone in the group wins the lottery too. Exactly. So they, mm-hmm. so, it's and, very strange. Well, there's only two lessons that we really learn from Simon Conjurer, and we have to read them on blackboards in the back of his, the room. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the first one we see it says E equals MC squared, enlightenment equals mind control, which squared. I, I guess that. <laughs> <laughs> Which we'll find out maybe what his, his strategy is. And at the very end, we see that behind the blackboard, it says belief over justice equals magic, which is I, I've been trying to puzzle out what that means. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't yeah. I don't understand. I don't know. So I don't know. The, how do you how do you divide belief by justice? Guys? And what that has to do with magic? I'm not sure, because oh, I yeah. like magic. I've seen magic perform many times. And. Uh-huh. It, there's a certain amount of belief, like you have to say to yourself, for this trick, I'm going to believe uh-huh. that there's some special thing going on, and it's not yeah. just the magician distracting me while uh-huh. he throws the card away. But I don't know how justice factors and that into ca- it. that card better not be a land, because you're going to need that to bring other cards in. Yeah, yeah, exactly, sure. Or an energy, if I'm going to want to do my uh, my GX attack once per game. Uh, so, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> uh, so, so I wonder if maybe it's a sly little statement of like, hey, Justice doesn't exist. You can believe in it, but that's magical thinking. There's no justice in this world. But the movie seems to be telling us that there's nothing but coincidental justice in the grand mm-hmm. plan of the world. If we harness anyway, the movie, the philosophy of the movie doesn't make sense. So anyway, our heroes are. They eventually end up at Krayzak's apartment. I'm gonna. I, I'm glad we went through the truck stuff. I was gonna skip it eventually, originally, <laughs> but. I'm glad yeah. we went through it. Uh, and Krayzak's apartment, again, I want you guys to tell me describe it. Is it like, it's like a Batman villain's apartment, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But instead and of a giant coin, there's a giant penis that hides a gun. Yeah. And they say it's, 
I couldn't tell whether it was like the Lost Live Library of Alexandria oh, or well, we'll somehow it's supposed to be the Lost Library of it's Alexandria. It's not clear, but we'll, but his his apartment is full of ancient artifacts <laughs> yeah. and a very cold Hannibal-esque kitchen. And also mm-hmm. a, a, what is a, a room that is either a complete replica of the Library of Alexandria or, Alexandria or a time portal that takes you there. <laughs> because that, it's stocked explained. with all the books. And that's explained by gambling addict, what, Plankhead or Platehead? Uh, Platehead. Platehead, who wears a, uh, w- a crucifix around his neck that's so tight, I'm worried his head is just going to fall clean <laughs> off. Uh, Platehead, uh, he got his name because he was an ambulance driver who fell out of an ambulance or something and had to put a plate in his head, which led to gambling. Uh, but anyway, I-, I also want to remind people of what I mentioned earlier. There is a terrarium in the middle of the room with a pet snake in it with a big <laughs> button that says, like, you know, like edible delicacies or something like that. Mm-hmm. And if you push it, a squealing baby pig is shot out of a tube straight into the snake's mouth. In now, what was the only would... the only moment in the movie where I was like, okay, movie, I didn't expect that, and that was pretty pretty funny. Oh, there's a lot I didn't expect in the movie, but that was the only time it really worked. Although it doesn't come back in any way. You're like, no, yeah. never. There's no reason why this happens. I thought maybe... You know, there'd be a scene where it like just like there's a fight and it shoots out pigs at people, but yeah. no. Dan, justify it. the existence of this, please. <laughs> yeah. You're rewriting <laughs> this script. Pig gun. <laughs> I mean, ironically, it's the it's the one thing in the movie I feel like I can justify just on the case, basis yeah. of like, well, I never thought I'd see that in a movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh there's more miraculous breakthroughs because if you see a bicycle, it's gonna remind you of how how uh something bad happened with your family, or if you see the ashtray that your uncle used to use when he told you you were ugly and that's why you became a male model who smokes and stuff like that. <laughs> By the way, I gotta just like take a pause to talk about the uh, uncle who calls him, <laughs> tells the kid that he's ugly because it's you know it's like it's, you know like this like this little kid and uh-huh. they're in like. I don't know, like a tool shed or something, like a, yeah. a shack, and this this oh, this uncle looks like like an old prospector type. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "You're never gonna be anything, kitty. You're ugly." And like mm-hmm. and he goes as he's walking out, he just goes, "You're ugly," and it all sounds like <laughs> a ADR done by someone who normally does voices for cartoons. Whenever this guy talks, yeah. And uh, and so then they eventually end up in the Library of Alexander room, and Platehead goes on for a while about the great minds of antiquity. And this is when I was like, oh, this movie thinks that it is like kind of a lasagna or a layer cake of ideas, that like there's this whimsical mystery comedy. And underneath yeah. that is this story of emotional growth, like a Celestine prophecy type thing. Because underneath that are these big ideas that humanity has grappled with for millennia. Is there a God? Is there chance? Or is there meaning in the universe? But mm-hmm. it really is none of those things. But like clearly the movie thinks it has more on its mind, or else why have the character go on and on about the Library of Alexandria? Yeah, yeah. And- it feels the, like it feels like when you're having a conversation with somebody that you just met, and you're like just joking around, and then all of a sudden he starts get, the guy. It's always a guy starts getting super serious, and you're like, uh, no, let's keep this light. Let's keep this surface level, please." <laughs> yeah. Now, in in the uh, the fool's errand that is trying to explain the particular feel of this movie, I also have a couple of touchstones. It it some of it felt to me weirdly like Book of Henry where there's this elaborate yeah. kind of magical plot that is dealing with uh issues that are far more sensitive <laughs> than the movie mm-hmm. is. And then it also kind of felt like this was all, you know, funded by some cult that <laughs> you like never heard of as like a way to get people interested in their 
you know, particular belief system. I mean, if I the know. movie ended with them all at the Church of Scientology, I would have been like, oh, okay, this makes sense. I get this yeah. now. Like, now I understand what this is about. But it doesn't. It it ends in a in an even more baffling way that makes no sense. But we'll get to that. Uh, so uh, Simon finds hidden in one of Krasek's own books, which you got to give Krasek credit for this. He did not put his own books in the Library of Alexandria room, yeah. as far as I can tell, which shows the the one thing, one restraint, one moment of restraint that Krasek or John Boyd has. That he so you're didn't... imagining that he would just like go down the line and be like, "Oh wait, what, what's what's the kite runner doing in here?" What's the... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, finance for dummies. <laughs> What's this doing the Library of Alexandria? I mean, at a certain point, you just need bookshelf space. I mean, in my yeah. house, we try to separate by fiction and nonfiction into different shelves, but like, you know, you don't have the exact same number of fiction and nonfiction books. So there's going to yeah, be some yeah. Lincoln books in the novels, you know? Yeah, and I have to I have to separate my role playing manuals from my uh, my comic books, and that's you know a pain in the ass. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and Dan, I assume you have to you have to separate your 1970s Playboys from your 1980s <laughs> penthouses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So and they're on a bookcase. That's the thing. It's out for display. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, if you're not gonna have pride about who you are, <laughs> then sure. And I, I love that you went to that bookbinding place in Williams in uh, sure. in uh, in Brooklyn, and you got them bound in leather editions that have the uh-huh. title of the magazine and the dates. And then on the back, you've actually written the centerfold names. Yeah. The weird thing is, after I did that, though, I glued all the pages together and carved out a spot for a flask. So uh-huh. it was a lot of work for that oh, pail. Yeah. But so Simon finds this in one of the books, the bracelet that belonged to the little girl who died. And then the class finds it on him and briefly suspects him. But he says, turn to the books. So they turn to this book and the book says something about how he took the bracelet and brought it, put it on his own person to test fate and the chaos of the universe to see if taking it got him into trouble. Anyway, whatever it means, it's nonsense and gobbledygook. It, te- it makes, it leads Chloe from Bratz to realize that Simon is a man in need of guidance. And hey, he needs them as much as they need him. Oh, then, yeah. Then she has a breakthrough about how her eating disorder stems from a time that she threw away her friend's Valentine's card. <laughs> and uh, Yeah. This one was uh, arguably the uh, least sensical justification yeah. for uh, one of the, the problems they're seeking help with. And she so, gets the longest explanation, and it the more she talks, the less sense it makes. Do you yeah. think... The line that keeps being repeated, prophet without a god, is that referring to Simon Conjurer? Because initially I assumed that it had something to do with uh, the John Prophets, the race of clone soldiers of the Earth Mm -hmm, Empire, mm -hmm. who kind of worship the Earth Mothers as like a god, but not really... I mean that's really not in their like mental programming. No, that I mean, I guess their their only real god is conquest, right? It's the expansion of the empire of, of John Prophet. So yeah, and the, they're doing their duty. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah so it's, so it, it could be it could be the prophet without a god. I mean, again, you you could think maybe Badrock becomes a, the god at the end since you know he awakens and is one of the you know tipping yeah. point moments. In the yeah. and troll, uh, <laughs> yeah. he and he and troll converge and. Like create a new galaxy or something, but maybe the, it the, means old man prophet who, uh, you know, created a race of free Johns to oppose the Earth Empire. I don't know. I mean, well, I assume the the movie's not saying that, but it might be. You know, I mean, cons- considering the movie seems to have no uh, either financial, corporate, or creative relationship to Brandon Graham's run on profit, uh, the Image comic, I don't uh-huh. know that they're actually based on each other. Or related <laughs> For a second, in any way. I thought maybe it was my book. P-R-O-F-I-T without a God, which is uh-huh. just, you know, about how atheists can cash in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Is that a how-to book? Yeah, it's like, oh, you know, okay. it's like a personal finance guide. 
And mm-hmm. I thought it was Prophet Without a Dog. I misheard it and misread it at first, <laughs> oh, wow. which I thought was about how Moses lost his dog. It's a sad story. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you're wandering for 40 years. That dog's not going to stick with you the whole time. Oh, well, no. I mean, if he's a good dog, he will. But unfortunately, he was not a good dog and he ran off. Mm-hmm. Very sad uh, story. I'm pretty sure they're all good dogs. <laughs> Uh, I mean, if they all go to heaven, I guess by tautology definition, they must all be good dogs or else <laughs> yeah. heaven has no, has no boundaries. So uh-huh. uh, that's when the detectives break into Krazak's apartment without a warrant to find clues. Everyone hides. Uh, then Krazak comes in and the detectives hide. <laughs> and Krazak looks for the dead girl's locket because in an earlier scene that I didn't mention about, Dean Elkwood implies to Krazak that she knows he's a murderer, leading him to have what I thought was a heart attack, but it's, I guess it's just a panic attack. Uh, the locket isn't there. We know Simon Conjurer has it. But Krazax in the Library of Alexandria room does find Simon's book. He goes on for a while with a kind of goofy, paranoid monologue about the book and about whether he's going to read it or not because it might be a trap. He calls Simon the R-word at one point, which seemed, again, not okay. And he decides he'll read it at random to see if what information he can find. And he chooses the sentence by spitting the chocolate in his mouth up into the air, and it spins around a bunch of times and then splats on a page. And he's like, that's the page I'll read. And he reads a scene that is set up as if it's the climax of the movie, but it's mm-hmm. something that ne- it's, it, it seems like a, a almost like he is having a fugue state and going into an alternate version of this movie. <laughs> and yeah, where yeah. He's, on a, he's having a rooftop confrontation with Simon, and Krazak has apparently kidnapped the dean. And Simon and him, they've known each other since they were kids. Krazak says, you shot me in the side. And Simon says, you killed my wife. And it's like, when did any of this happen? It's not yeah. really clear if they're, the wife they're talking about is the dean or not. Apparently, they both... It's like, when cha- you, it's like when you start a role-playing game and all the players have much more interesting backstories than the adventure you're actually playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, they've both been chasing proof of the existence of God, and Krazak has decided there isn't one. And Krazak admits to Simon, yeah, I killed her because there's nothing worth living about in this world and to frame you. And he takes the he takes the girl's locket from Simon at gunpoint. Then he pulls a lever, which reveals a plank in the roof. <laughs> and he takes out a pirate saber or a cutlass, and he forces Simon to walk it at sword point. And he pushes Simon off, and then Simon falls for a long time. Cut back to the apartment. Krazak slurps the chocolate off the book. Like, he's just licking and slurping the chocolate off. Uh, mm-hmm. And then while he's doing that, Team Simon run out, having also seen in their minds what Krazax was just reading and imagining in his mind, so they know all the information that Krazax had in his mind. It's and yeah, At this point, the listener <laughs> to the podcast is, surely Elliot is just engaged on another flight of fancy improv, as he uh-huh. is so keen no. on doing. But all of this is accurate to the film Deadly Lessons, a.k.a. was it, The Something of Simon Conjurer? I forget the alternate title. Like the, the Legend. legend. Yeah. The Legend, yeah. So, and, uh, uh, sorry and so the, for the break-in. No, but but I just all, needed to reassure them that they have not come untethered. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Only only we and the movie have. But it's it's one of those moments where, like, it's almost like the movie was like, how are we going to communicate that they know all this information now? Uh, they they just they saw what was in his head at that moment. They And yeah. they, they're like, hey, it was like we could see it in our heads, too. They run out. Uh, that's when Krazax, of course, goes over to a, stat- a nude statue with a huge penis, rubs the penis a bunch of times, then lifts it up to li- find to a place where there's a gun hidden, and then he runs off himself. And mm-hmm. it is a—the movie from this point on, it's like at that point when we saw that rooftop thing, the movie broke. 
And at this point, it is no longer even following the pattern of a real story anymore. Like up to <laughs> that point, you could be like, okay, I get what they're doing. They're kind of going on this journey and they're each having their moments. And I get it. Simon is a man looking for answers too. He doesn't have all the answers. From this point on, it's not even really clear what's actually happening in the movie. Mm-hmm. Because they go to Dean Elkwood's house because they know from the vision they had of what Krasak's read in the book, which again is like, yeah. not. it's not like Krasak said, I'm going to go kidnap the Dean. He read in a book a scene where he mentions kidnapping a Dean, and they assume that that's his plan. They go to, so the heroes go to Dean Elkwood's house where she is having a sexy nude shower under an indoor waterfall. And yes. how long does this shower go for, would you guys Dan, I think Dan said not long enough in his text message. It go no, it goes on for quite some time. I, we did gloss over the fact that um, when you say our heroes go there, Simon goes there as well. Who last we saw fell off a building. No, no, yeah. Dan, that, but that was he fell off a building in Krasak's mind. Uh, in, well, in the scene from the book, Kraze, that none of that scene was actually happening. That was all what Krasak was reading in the book. So Simon's still with our heroes. But then, but wait, there's a flashback that explains how he survived falling later on. So but that I, I is just that, another that scene. Happen. Nope, that's just another scene in the book. It is it's as if the it's as if the book is is a what if story about this movie uh-huh. at this point. Oh, I, I see. Guess, I I thought we saw what I thought we were literally seeing what happened and the movie didn't explain why Simon was still alive until a little later in the movie thinking that like we were just going to accept that he fell off a building and was okay. <laughs> that is very it was possible. You know what? I was going to push back and say, no, that's not what happened. But honestly, who am I to question the meaning of, of Deadly Lessons, Simon Conjurer? Yes, that could but, be what happened. But let's, okay, so... Uh, Where was I when so Simon the, Conjurer created the Leviathan? I was Anyway, wasn't there. Simon Conjurer uh, comes in and starts talking to the Dean like... You know, trying to get her to come with him, and she is now, uh, now this she, set, this ba- this bathroom is... with a with a waterfall. It now, feels was it like a bathroom, or I don't <laughs> it know. Seems it seems like it's like, a greenhouse like where she takes showers. Yeah, yeah it feels like the showering. Thing that, like, I would fountain. imagine my like my my girlfriend would have when I was like twelve years old. I'd be like, I'm gonna date a girl with a waterfall for a bathroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, which at the, you know, I'm only 12 years old. I have no concept of the upkeep that a waterfall greenhouse room is going to be. Like, it's such a pain in the ass. Oh, yeah. You got butterflies all over the place. You have, <laughs> you have Jim Lee-style obscuring fog covering up all the good parts. <laughs> it really, the upkeep is expensive for all that stuff. That's why you got to have a Dean's salary if you're going to afford that. Yeah. But it is, it is a, it's a magical mystical room. Yeah, Simon comes in and is like, we got to get you to safety. And she... No, she must have sex with him right then and there. Yeah. And it, they talk about, so they used to be married or they're still married and they're estranged. They were in, they were in, a, in a committed relationship. And even though they're both totally into each other still, for some reason they were not. I mean, it's a huge yeah. conflict of interest for her to be married to one of the professors at her college or possibly elementary school. And in much the way that this movie feels like kind of a, le- like a, less poisonous Neil Breen movie with money. Like, this feels like the scene in the movie where the guy who's in charge of the movie is like, okay, I'm gonna, like, 
be like uh, fondled by this naked woman in the shower. And I felt uh-huh. even worse for uh, this woman than I do the Neil Breen woman because in the, in the Neil Breen like in like Fateful Findings like she's not nude. So at least the actress uh, won that argument on set. I I can only assume. Whereas here it's like no 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 no. Uh, uh, it's very important to the story that we have you naked in the shower at this point. <laughs> it's also and at a certain point the the obscuring objects just stop obscuring. And yeah. it's weird because this movie is like the tone of this movie is so strange. Where That's one moment you have to put up your own obscuring objects so that you don't have to see anything. Like, like yeah. hands, fingers, a book, uh, create fog or something in your and room. You find, just, just like r- Jim Lee would want me to. Yeah, yeah. Just rub <laughs> chicken oil all over the screen so it gets all blurry. Yeah. Oh, like and, Ridley Scott shoots action scenes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, because the tone of this movie at sometimes is it feels like it's supposed to be like lighthearted wonderment. And sometimes yes. it's supposed to be goofy, but then it's hard to it's hard to have a lighthearted, silly scene in a movie with a naked shower sex scene when th- yes. that is interrupted by a man at gunpoint, a man with a gun, ordering Simon to strip and then kidnapping a naked Dean Elkwood. It is because, like the tone is all over, you know. Well, I said while watching, like because up until that point, the closest thing this has to like a tone in what what one might call a uh, uh, mainstream. Uh, typical media is like maybe like a tween fantasy where like all these like mostly younger people are in the support group and learning to cope and like crazy things are happening Uh but then like the nude scene comes in and you're like oh wait this is an r-rated movie which makes it even more baffling like who did they think they're making it for you know yeah it's a it's a strange i guess what i'm saying is i'm like the it fails to combine nudity and lighthearted whimsy in the successful way of a great bikini off-road adventure or something yes, like yes. that. You know, it fail. <laughs> it is striving for and failing to reach what what uh, kind of like B-grade softcore porn does. <laughs> yes, almost naturally. But anyway, uh, the, and then we get to the scene where the two detectives have taken the book with chocolate on it to a scientist so he can use X-ray <laughs> lasers to read uh-huh. the words covered by the chocolate. And that's where it describes Simon surviving his fall off the building by landing in a mattress uh, truck yeah, that Rebel okay. is also in. And while they're, while they're getting the So maybe the it was book, all a flashback now that I think about it. And they're getting that analyzed. They point out that the, an, the like laser tech has like a big scar on the back of his head and the two detectives make note of it, but I don't think it ever comes up again. No, I assumed it was supposed to be a joke that he had mishandled the laser at some point. Oh, and it had, and it, that would make sense. Well, cause, I but mean, e- it's e- hilarious is why it makes and sense. And it keys into the theme of the movie that everyone has some sort of marker on their body. Yeah, and also it's not yeah. how lasers work. I mean, we're work. all covered in scars. Yeah, yeah I, mean, the, the worst, I mean, but the worst scars are the ones you can't see. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Cool. Actually, you know what? No, the worst scar is from Lion King. He kills his brother. <laughs> That's and tries to, and takes over one. the lions, and it, he yeah. leaves his nephew to die. That's the worst scar, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah, not and Hulk's son is scar, right? Uh, Doesn't he like invade yeah. a planet or something? Well, That's pretty well, bad. Well, Hulk, okay, no, Hulk gets sent to a planet by uh-huh. the Illuminati. Our heroes who are acting like bad guys because it was during that period when the uh, everyone was acting out of character, and the Hulk is called the Green Scar when he's on this planet, uh-huh. and then his son, I think, is Sukkar, maybe. Uh-huh. Maybe it's just Scar. You following this, Dan? Uh, I was just sitting around thinking about the scene in Jaws where they compare Scars. Uh, okay. I, what, I, what I like about this and talking about the Prophet comic is it's revealing that the fiction that I like is not that much clearer than the, de- the Deadly <laughs> Lessons, The Legend of Simon Conjurer. 
<laughs> like it's all pretty nonsensical. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so they all have more breakthroughs. They run. They go back to class. Uh, there's a platehead is late because he bought some lottery tickets, and they realize Rebel is missing. Where's Rebel? What happened to him? And to be honest, Rebel has fallen into the background of the movie for quite a while. We he was set up to be a major character, and he's just kind of like not there that much. The class yes. can. Also, yep. Rebel uh, narrates the movie at like I would say there f- maybe four times. Like I'd forgotten that he narrated at the beginning at all until it like kicked in again like halfway through the movie. And, yeah, and I thought, wait, this movie has narration. <laughs> and, unlike uh, say, it's very erratic. Unlike and yeah, I mean erratic and erotic. If you're talking about that shower mm-hmm. scene, the uh, so unlike the Princess Bride where. You get the feeling that Peter Falk is narrating the whole movie, but if you actually go through and look at it, he only appears a handful of times throughout mm-hmm. the course of it because it's such a well-told movie. In this one, you instantly forget that Rebel is narrating and yeah. and eventually that he's a character in the movie. So they're like, where's Rebel? Where's Rebel? But let's consult the book. The book has all the answers because uh, so they've already fallen to that level of a new religion where they can't do anything without consulting their magic book. And the book... It's not giving them any answers. In fact, the pages are all blank. And Simon reveals to them, uh, they, they, they'll go like, what's this all about? What's this? For a long time, for like three or four minutes. And then Simon says, you were all having a mass hallucination. You imagined that that text was there. It never existed. And you were filling it in with the information that you knew from your own lives and the glimpses you had of your classmates' lives. And the natural coincidence of the, coincidences of the universe filled in the rest. But what does it matter? Because you're cured now. It's an explanation that doesn't really make sense. But we don't have time, <laughs> we don't have time to go into it because Krazax and the police burst in. And Simon is arrested. Then the two p- detectives burst in and they go, hey, we have proof. That Krazax did it. We have an eyewitness. Well, Dan, which which character from the movie is going to come back and be the eyewitness? Uh, <laughs> which character that we have seen before in the film, his existence foreshadowed, and us being like, oh, he saw it, is going to come back? Wait, wait. Did we see them before? I know who the character is, right? It's 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 Rebel's dad, right? That's what I'm getting it? to, Dan, which I was hoping you'd catch on to, is that we have never seen this character before. Oh, and in I'm fact, sorry. we were told earlier in the film that he was dead. And did yeah. not exist Elliot, anymore. I, I am so confused by this movie that, that like scene was... you can't play this game with me because I'll, I'll just be like, oh, I missed something. But yeah, no, he was supposed to be dead and he shows up. That's how you set up a twist, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is you is you give the audience now, no information now, whatsoever to expect anything to happen. Now, this yeah. movie that was confusing at the beginning, uh-huh. uh, you know, in the grand tradition of a lot of movies with twists, actually got more confusing when the twist was revealed because at this point I'm like, okay, wait, wait, wait. So all the Krazek stuff about this child murder actually happened yeah. and wasn't part of their hallucination? Yes, it makes no <laughs> sense. So at this point, you're left to wonder what is real and what is not real in this movie. So the detectives uh-huh. say, we have an eyewitness, this wealthy philanthropist who's actually Rebel's dad. He saw Krazak's push the girl off the roof from his helicopter, which and happened by- to be landing at a nearby building at the same time. And so we see a flashback uh, of a helicopter footage beaming a spotlight on John Voight, who is carrying a child around uh, and then chucks it off a building. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so funny. And, and I mean, like, <laughs> this is like, well, it's funny, yeah, number one, because John Voight is like, but who could have seen me do this? Like, maybe the spotlight... <laughs> Helicopter, but number two, like you think this movie is gonna be like gentle and be like, oh, that child murder was just part of the thing. Don't worry, we didn't put child yeah. murder in this lighthearted no, thing. And then you get no. this extended 
scene of him carrying this kicking child who blessedly like the one thing that makes it okay sort of is that she clearly is not scared like if you look at the actress's face she's having a ball kicking her her, her yeah. legs in john Voight. Uh, she's probably uh, john Voight's granddaughter or something yeah. i don't know yeah but but yeah, uh, it's a but yeah. You expect the movie to be like, don't worry, none of that bad stuff happened. Oh no no no, a kid did die. A kid was murdered. John Voight's yes. character is a, is a murderer. And uh, so John Voight and John Voight goes, how could you tell it was me? I was wearing a hat and coat. Oops. And it's like, yep, he's a genius, all right. So he gets arrested. Uh, everyone's happy. They've instantly forgotten that just earlier that night a child was killed. Uh, Simon and Dean Elkwood they kiss, and the eyewitness is like, yeah, I'm Rebel's dad. Uh, it turns out. I'm rich, and Rebel is a wonderful child. And uh, it, so Rebel's angry with the world, right? No, but Rebel did tell me that he crashed your truck. So I'm going to pay you, I'm going to give you this check for it. And it's for a lot of money. It's like, wait, so hold on a second. Which yeah. of these things happen? And all the classmates are like, we did it, we're cured. And they leave. And Simon opens a letter, signed friend, giving him instructions on how to hypnotize the class to get them <laughs> to breakthroughs. And Simon goes, Simon looks at the letter as if he's never seen it before. Like, he's baffled by it. And he goes, right. Rebel? And then, yeah. so, this on. is when, wait, and before, and Dan, I just mentioned before you said the thing, this is when the movie collapses under its own weight. But Dan, what are you going to say? Right. Well, I mean, like, okay, so th- there's these nested series of revelations, and each one tries to address the last one, but it only raises more questions. Because at this point, you're like, oh, okay, I guess Simon Conjurer is... Simon like, Conjurer. Conjurer, yeah. sorry, is also... The word Conjurer. Like, yes. He is also basically uh, 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 going under the same treatment as his own like students. Like Some force is compelling him to do what he does... In part to heal him as well as heal these students. Yeah. So surely, when that is revealed, then things will be explained. But not really, as we'll see. That's all. Because, that's all I wanted. To- yeah. So Simon, I guess, I guess what we're supposed to take from him is that he hypnotized himself and the class based on these instructions yes. given to him by we don't know because Rebel. We go to now to the narration, and we see that Rebel is actually Roberto, a clean-cut kid who's just palling around with the old people at the hospital and helping his mom, the nurse, with the patients there. He's such a lovely boy, and he talks about how, like, he made up the rebel persona. He dreamed the whole rebel persona, which I don't know what that means. I don't understand Uh how that sentence applies to what we've seen. Well, he was, like, saying that, like, he doesn't know what was real, but he's putting it together now. I think he's, like, coming out of this, like, his own sort of haze of being this other alter ego i i, I now yeah. and here's one of those moments too where you're like you almost like i for a moment i was like oh is this like identity and this was all happening in roberto's mind and he had to like pull himself together uh but no because then he goes in and his mother is talking to a sick woman who's very distraught and his mother calms the woman down by talking her into floating around the room flying like the kids from the classroom which yeah. somehow heals her completely and it's one of those things too where you're like Okay, so his mom has the ability to talk people into yeah. surviving life-threatening illnesses. Why does she not use yeah. this more often? Like, why heals, she not heals the woman so much that a different nurse walks into the room and is shocked that the and like put uh, you know taken aback by how healthy this person now is. Yeah. So yeah, but and it's you, like, did she learn that from Simon or was well, he? Well, no. Her- it seems like maybe she is. So at first I'm like, okay, are there like a bunch of people like Simon Conjure in the world? Mutants, let's call them. Yeah, they're superpowered who? people. Mutants. Yes, the superpowered mutants who are bound by um, impulse to help people, and maybe like 
one of those is now helping Simon Conjurer himself, who's also one of these ma- magical people. Because at first I'm like, oh, does he have any magic powers at all as soon as I see this letter? But then you see him later on doing his same, like, tricks, floating kid tricks to a new group of kids. <laughs> so we seem to be... It seems like the movie is going to tell us, actually, this was all in Roberto's head. Either he lives in a magical realist world or actually... His mom is the one who has this power, this magic. And, but then Roberto tells us that the class still gets together regularly to support each other and keep mm-hmm. them away from their addictions. So they're real. And that yeah. Simon has gone back to teaching little kids how to fly. So he's real. And then in jail, Krazax is writing a new novel. And the title of that novel? Prophet Without a God. So Krazax was real? So, and, so Roberto's he's like, and he wrote the book, I guess, maybe is implied that told them how to do this like that's the part that like I and he looks like it. he's in jail at the pirates of the caribbean ride <laughs> in oh yeah his, his his cellmate yeah. appears to be the man in the iron mask based on the jail that he's in yeah yeah and and during this uh end montage we get the scene referenced before where they all win the lottery and they're down at the local bodega and the bodega guy is like pulling stacks of money out from behind <laughs> the counter yeah as if that's how you know your your money is awarded when you win a major lottery uh-huh. prize well, and not yeah, just like two dollars. It's such a there's a when plate had. I mean, it's a pretty nice bodega. They can afford to give the uh, the guy working behind so. the counter a name tag. Yeah. Yeah, they also they also say that plate had won like thirty four million dollars or something and donated mm-hmm. it all. But it's so. But the movie so the movie is like, hey, they have a magic book and they're all receiving breakthroughs. Actually, it's not a magic book. They were just hypnotized by Simon, Simon Conjurer. Actually, Simon Conjurer doesn't know who hypnotized them. Actually, it was all a dream Roberto had. Actually, everybody's real. It wasn't a dream. Forget about it. it the, the movie, <laughs> like, it's it's not even nested rever- reveals. It's like reve- like they're throwing hot dogs at the wall reveals. Like, just, <laughs> like, that's what it feels like, is it feels like you're watching a movie made by someone throwing just food at the wall and be like, that's the thing now. Oh, that's it. Yeah, no, I mean, with just, like, a tweak, it would be a sketch parodying twist endings. Like just a little tweak. Yeah, it is. It so, is. A, it was great. It, it, it is. Yeah. It is a crazy thing, as you said, Dan. That that part of the twist reveal is that much of it was not real, but the murderer was. Like that the actual <laughs> the actual crime was real. Like it's. Uh, so that's deadly uh, lessons. That is deadly lessons. Hope you were able to follow it. Um, so let's. I mean, if final... you were able to follow it, write in. I want you to tell me <laughs> what is going on at the end of this movie, or even the middle of the movie. And if you you wrote the movie, you can't write in. No. Uh, Well, maybe. Um, You just got to write in that fancy dialogue style. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Final Judgments. This is a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie you kind of like. I'm going to say, guys, um, now, as I alluded to before, this movie has issues with its presentation of uh, mental health. And of uh, 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 of therapy to help mental health, and there is um, a, a slur against uh, a, a mentally mental disability yeah. or later in. So there's stuff in it that if you're sensitive to that, by all means, I'm not saying run out and watch it, but if you are able to view it with the inherent ridiculousness that the whole movie projects i mean like the the thing is like i this movie is too silly for me to get that offended by it just because it is like 
I don't know, a, a child's story. Like it's like uh, writing like, and then what? Then this happened, and then this happened, and then this mm-hmm. happened. Uh, and in a world where we have to watch like your RoboCop remakes and your uh, ten thousand BCs uh, to encounter something this just like rambling and strange, and uh, have it also be a thirty million dollar movie. Is just a special treat, so I'm gonna say it's a good bad movie. Uh, yeah, keeping all those caveats in mind, I would also say good bad movie. Just, just be ready to be uh, uh, a little upset by its portrayal of uh, mental health and therapy, but then just sit back and and get ready for John Voight to literally like put the scenery in a blender and then chug it down as like a scenery smoothie. <laughs> Yeah, and some uh, at some points it felt like John Voight was auditioning to be in like the next Spy Kids movie or something. That's not a slam on Spy Kids, but I feel like they have like a an you know an arch uh, quality to them. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I totally agree with you guys. Uh, it is fairly insensitive about how it portrays everything, but it also is made. <laughs> it's also made poorly, uh, but also <laughs> it looks kind of expensive. <laughs> but it also looks like crap. Uh, the music is hilariously bad. There's a, and it is like that perfect vanity project where the writer director has cast himself. Like, it feels like the, the script probably describes Simon Conjurer as like a handsome, uh, you know, like a handsome man who looks much younger than his 50 years or something. <laughs> yeah. uh, and he like showed up with the script and he's like, I don't know. We're having a lot of trouble finding a Simon Conjurer. I mean, guess i could do it i mean i know the script and everyone's like uh do you want to do it dude uh why is your hair so wet and he uh yeah he's there's even a scene where simon conjurer gets in a a brief fight with scorpio the uh the violent guy and he grabs him and throws him across the room up against a wall and he he just explains it a way that he has taught himself martial arts it's so great it's it's crazy that's that's that was one of the moments where i'm like oh so he has he has powers now. Is that the? Yeah, he was throwing him like he was wearing an Iron Man suit or something. Now, uh-huh. one thing, one thing that we didn't mention, which I'll mention quickly before we uh, finish, is that so the the writer, director, and star of the movie, took, his name is not in the credits. He actually took his name off the film. And I only just learned in looking up stuff now while you guys were talking that at the end of the credits, I guess, is his explanation for that. So I'm just gonna I'm let the credits roll on my end over here, and I'll let you know when that explanation comes up as to why his name is not on the film. Hey, you like movies? What about coming up with movie ideas over the course of an hour? Because that's what we do every week on Story Break, a writer's room podcast where three Hollywood professionals have an hour to come up with a pitch for a movie or TV show based off of totally zany prompts. Like that time we reimagined Star Wars based on our phone's autocomplete. Luke Skywalker is a family man and it's Star Wars, but it's a good idea. (laughs) How about that time we broke the story of a bunch of Disney Channel original movies based solely on the title and the poster? Okay, Sarah Hyland is a 50-foot woman. Let's just go with it, guys. (laughs) Or the time we finally cracked the Adobe Photoshop feature film. Stamp tool is your Woody, and then the autofill oh, is the new Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> Join us as we have a good time imagining all the movies Hollywood is too cowardly to make. Story Break comes out every Thursday on Maximum Fun. I don't know why I'm using this voice now. Welcome back to Fireside Chat on KMAX. With me in studio to take your calls is the dopest duo on the West Coast, Oliver Wong and Morgan Rhodes. Go ahead, caller. Hey. 
hey, uh, I'm looking for a music podcast that's insightful and thoughtful, but like also helps me discover artists and albums that I've never heard of. Yeah, man. Sounds like you need to listen to Heat Rocks every week. Myself and I'm Morgan Rhodes and my co-host here, Oliver Wong, talk to influential guests about a canonical album that has changed their lives. Guests like Moby, Open Mike Eagle, talking about albums by Prince, Joni Mitchell, and so much more. Yo, what's that show called again? Heat Rocks, deep dives into hot records. Every Thursday on Maximum Fun. A quick word from Squarespace, who uh, is kind enough to sponsor our show. Squarespace can be used to create a beautiful website to turn your cool idea into uh, a, a nice home on the internet, blog or publish content, sell products and services of all kinds and much, much more. And Squarespace does this by giving you beautiful, customizable templates created by world-class designers, everything optimized for mobile right out of the box, a new way to buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions, free and secure hosting, Head to squarespace.com slash flop for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code flop to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Uh, hey, Dan, I was wondering if, uh, I, by the way, I went through the credits and I couldn't find the thing that I, that I read was there, but he did take his name oh. off. Anyway, so Dan, I have a website that I, an idea that I was wondering if I could get help from Squarespace to, to make that. Do you think they'd be able to? Probably. Yeah, always the first time. So uh, anyway, you've heard of Facebook. Well, this movie, it made me realize there's a bigger problem involving books. So that's why I'm creating fudgebook.com. Do your books have chocolate in them? Like, are the pages covered in chocolate? How are you going to find out? Ellie, you've been to Dan's house. You've seen what his books are like. They're covered in chocolate. They're covered in chocolate. So how are you going to find other people in the books covered with chocolate community to figure out how to remove that chocolate from the books, or if you prefer your books that way, how to get more chocolate on your books? That's where fudgebook.com comes in. Fudgebook is your place on the internet for the fudgebook community. That's people who either like having chocolate on their books or don't like having chocolate on their books but have chocolate on their books. Maybe you want to trade your chocolate-covered copy of Stranger in a Strange Land to mm-hmm. another person who doesn't have co- chocolate on their copy of Stranger in a Strange Land, but would prefer to have a copy of Stranger in a Strange Land with chocolate on it. Well, that's where fudgebook.com comes in. It's like social media. It's, a, it's the most social media because it's around the three things people love most. One, books. Two, chocolate or the removal of said chocolate. And three, communication. So that's fudgebook.com. Uh, Dan, you think Squarespace will be able to help me with that? Uh, probably. I mean, if you pay them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how business works, guys. Let's not pretend that... Uh, yeah, yeah, let's, let's not sugarcoat it. Yeah, it's an <laughs> exchange of uh, money for services. Okay, fair point, fair point. Uh, hey, I believe that you both have Jumbotrons this week. Am I right or am I wrong? Oh, yeah, and I am raring to go-go-go-go with my Jumbotron. Happy birthday to a man who hates attention. He will no doubt feel equally thrilled and mortified. By this spotlight immortalizing him in the annals of his favorite podcast's history. Even though he's wrong about Chaplin and will always fight about Batman, we still manage a happy union. Happy birthday, Scott. This message is for Scott Kreider. And the message is from Billy Harrison. Happy birthday. Sweet and embarrassing. I will say, fighting about Batman, better than fighting Batman. 
<laughs> That's true. Yeah. He has trained his body into a weapon to beat up criminals. Yep, he is a he is uh, a he is violence as a tool for mental health. Anyway, so uh, there's another Jimbotron. It goes like this: Ever feel like there's too much pop culture out there? Have you wanted to become a Stanley Kubrick film expert, but instead settled for watching The Office for the fifth time while 2001 collects dust? The Monkey Off My Backlog podcast is here to help you exercise your pop culture demons. Join hosts Andy, Tessa, and Sam each week as they offer advice and talk about checking movies, TV, books, video games, and more off their lists. Join the conversation and start tackling your own lists today. Listen and subscribe to the Monkey Off My Backlog podcast. That's at Monkey Backlog on Twitter, mm-hmm. on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, man. Yeah, I've been dying to get through, uh, get to that last season of Dexter. <laughs> Uh, okay okay and uh, there's two other things we'd like to highlight before we get out of the uh sponsors and advertising what do you think happens do you think dexter gets murdered himself because he's a serial killer dexter murders santa claus now he's santa claus and he has to kill bad children while giving gifts to good children god damn it that like if that series had ended that way like it would shoot to number one no spoilers on my i mean no spoilers i just told you what happens but no spoilers (laughs) (laughs) yeah but you Uh, you didn't do a very good job describing it so it didn't spoil it for me well his sorry his dark passenger drives him to kill santa claus is that better you thank you and uh so guys Hey, remember when we used to do Flophouse live shows where we'd go to someone's city and then we'd do a show on a stage for them? Uh, do I? We'd fly, we'd fly on a plane, we'd stay in a hotel, uh-huh. maybe in the same room together. You know, who knows? Yeah, uh, and most of the trip we, we would, would be based around food. most of the trip uh, would we, be based around trying to figure out how much time we had to eat breakfast before we had to do our work. <laughs> oh man, we got so mad about that. Remember that, guys? Mm-hmm. So well, we're we're all a little bit of a lingerer, a breakfast lingerer. So I like to take my time, get a second yeah, cup, third cup. Just, it's, a, so, it's a whole day of of work. What if we could bring that live show energy without the, the anxiety about breakfast straight to your home? We did it once a couple months ago. We did our Howard the Duck live Zoom cast, and we're doing it again October 24th, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. That's right. It's a Shocktober live Flophouse Zoom, and we're going to be watching The Exorcist 2, The Heretic. Now... It's going to be just like that Howard the Duck show. We're going to do presentations beforehand. We'll have uh-huh. some kind of charity that we're promoting and want people to donate for. And it's going to be right in your home. You don't have to go anywhere, which is great because now is a difficult time to go anywhere. So that's October 24th, one week before Halloween. So, you know, it's still going to be scary, spooky times because November 1st, the spook time is over and it's on to turkey time. October yep. 24th, 9 p.m. <laughs> Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, The Exorcist 2, yeah. The Heretic. And if and don't worry if for some reason you don't want to watch us uh, in the moment live, you know, with no safety belts, no harness, just raw dog in the show. It's pretty scary when we do what? it. Actually, uh, <laughs> if you don't want to do that, we're going to archive what? it so you can watch it later. Yeah, yeah, it'll be up. Yeah. It's, it's going to be streaming through our YouTube page, and it will stay on the YouTube page. Yeah, it'll say uh, the only advantage, and I would say it's not nothing. Is uh, if you watch it live, maybe you can organize a group watch uh, with other listeners. Or uh, last time we didn't have the comments enabled because we were scared of uh, of of meanies. You know, we didn't want any meanies dropping by. Sure, mm-hmm. but uh, we had fucking yeah, all blue and everything. <laughs> but yeah. we had the YouTube live chat on for our um, uh, uh, screenplay reading of the boy next door, and that went just fine. So we'll probably 
allow it this time around. Oh, uh, they tricked us. Dan's going to be watching the, the the feed the whole time. He's going to be losing his shit. <laughs> uh, and we'll, last time we had uh, some questions from Twitter that we answered, and we'll probably do that again, or maybe we'll use the comments. I don't know. But that's going to be through the Flophouse YouTube page, October 24th, 9 p.m. Yep. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, The Exorcist 2, The Heretic, a movie none of us have seen, but it's supposed to be not very good. Uh... I have another thing that I'd like to plug that's just for me. It has nothing to do with Stuart and Dan. That's mm-hmm. that. Okay. As I've mentioned before on the podcast, September 29th, I have a children's book coming out, Sharko and Hippo. It's by me. Art's by Andrea Turumi. Uh, it's kind of like the Marx Brothers if one of the Marx Brothers was a hippo and the other was a shark. Uh, it's a fun story. It's a picture book for kids, and it's got a lot of jokes about words that sound like other words. So if that sounds like fun to you, and I bet it does— Sharko and Hippo. Pre-order it now or pick it up from, you know, your independent bookstore's website or other websites. Go yep. for it. Uh, Stuart, do you have anything to plug? Uh, yeah, I own a couple of bars, Hinterlands and Minnie's Bar in Brooklyn. You should uh, come by and grab something to go or sit in the patio, please. It's a tough time out here. Yeah. <sighs> okay, well, letters. We all get them from time to time. Or sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Some, you know, like maybe you're George Washington writing Martha from the front. Or maybe you're writing us about something. Or writing her from the dumb. back. Who knows? <laughs> Use it to all sorts of stuff. <laughs> Jesus, God. Okay, well, I'll just keep keep rolling. Uh, this first Hey, letter. you know, guys, it can be a tough time, but it's always a good time for letters. Sometimes uh-huh. you can feel real sad, but you can't feel sad about letters. Although now that I think of it, sometimes letters can have bad news and real sad dudes can have letters be sad. Yes, can have letters be mad. Yes, sometimes letters are just real bad and your grammar falls apart when you're singing about letters. Oh yeah, letters. Oh boy, letters. Just a hot semen pile of letters. Get them while they're fresh off the grill. Letters, letters today. What's the special today? (laughs) Letters, a hot bowl of letters for you. You've been driving cross country, delivering toilet paper to people who need it because the store shelves are sometimes out. And now you get to sit down and have yourself a big hot platter of letters. It's like a TV dinner, but all (laughs) of the things have letters in them. (laughs) Where there would be cream corn, there's letters. Where there would be meatloaf, there's letters. like you missed the off ramp. It's letters. You gotta keep yeah. going. So yeah, and you're sitting in the back of the lift, and you're like, "Oh, where are we going? Am I gonna have to pay for this?" All right. So this first one's from late. A big uh, plate late. of letters for you. <laughs> oh god, this is from uh, Nate. Last name redacted. Uh-huh. Uh, hi, Peaches. Nathan Summers. I'm a long time tabletop. <laughs> I'm a long time. <laughs> Tabletop RPG player and wanted to uh-huh. pick your brain about just D one and D movies. What's there the been... best class? <laughs> That's what he's gonna ask. <laughs> so like, been... Dan, what's your elite combo? What's the best stats you ever rolled? Well, clearly the best class is Simon Conjurer's night class, where you fix all of your problems <laughs> in one night. Oh, if That's I could true. only go to a Simon Conjurer. Uh, he, uh, Nate is asking. There have been tons of successful high fantasy movies over the past few decades, but every single attempt at a D and D movie has failed. Why do you think the past D&D movies have failed? And what do you think a successful D&D movie would look like? Thanks for all the laughs. Nate, last name redacted. Now, I have thoughts on this, but I'd like to hear Stuart's thoughts first, because I feel like he's got more of a dog in this fight. 
Yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, I think I think a couple things factor into this, and I think I think it partly is tied in also with why it's so hard to make a, a successful movie based on a video game. Uh, but I think with with D and D, part of the and this is going to be undercut a little bit by uh, something else. But um, I think a big part of it is that part of the joy of games like D and D is that the people that are the audience are also playing in it and they're creating their own story and they're invested in it. Um, and I, I think that's a big part of it. Like, I feel like the story that you make with your friends and your D and D group, you're going to have a bigger personal stake and you're going to like it more. Um, that's undercut a little bit by the success of actual play podcasts, uh, like, like the one we make. But I think part of the joy of those is also, the, the fact that everybody involved is very passionate about it and, uh, you know, yada, yada, yada. And the market is often smaller. I don't know. I well, think that's a big part of it, though. I think, I, th- I think that's definitely part of it. And another part I would say is that D&D is it's essentially a world for you to create a story and create your own characters. There's no characters that preexist necessarily, and there's no story. So if you're adapting it into a movie, it's like the thing that you're working with is – not necessarily the most important thing that an audience that's not already into D&D is looking for. Like, when people go to a movie, the setting is a big fa- is something that they enjoy, but they're invested in the story and the characters, and D&D doesn't really come with story and characters. It, it's yeah, kind of like... If, except for, like, Lord Soth or something. Yeah, well, it's like if you're making, a like, a SimCity movie, or you'd be Drizzt like... Or Drizzt Duerden or something. Yeah, but <laughs> if you're making a SimCity movie, you'd be like, okay, I guess it's a movie about building like a city, Or, like, Elminster but... Sage or something. <laughs> God... Go so, on, you're Alan, right. Sorry. I forgot. D and D has a rich cast of characters. <laughs> the, like, but none of real those are household char- names. <laughs> but none of those are characters that. Well, I mean, you don't have to have household names to make a movie. Like Guardians of the Galaxy was a huge hit. Yeah. And those were nobody knew who those characters were except me because I loved Abnett and Lanning's run on the title, which was kind of the main influence on the movie. But the it's like a if you're making a Sim City game, you'd be like, I guess it's about building a city, but like I need to create the characters and the plot and what's going on. Yeah. And they were able to. It's like. Isn't it like Marv in Sin City though? Not Sin City, Stuart. Sim City, the game. Uh, Come on, Stu. Right. Yeah, but well, I mean... Oh, sorry. I would say, I, oh, sorry. The, I would say just two things. One is that I think the only people who have really been able to pull off something like that are are the people behind the Lego movies because they were taking something that was just blocks. It's not... There's no story to Legos, you know, uh-huh. and there's no characters to Legos except... I know there's that astronaut character and all that stuff. My, my son will run in and be like, actually, there's a lot of Lego characters. But... They had to create what is the tone of this movie, what is the characters, what are the, what are the stories, what's the... Because all they have to work off of was Legos are a thing you can build with. Yeah, but, yeah. And so you'd need people who really, like, can fill in that stuff. And if they're going to fill in all that, they might as well just make a movie that's not beholden to the Dungeons & Dragons license. I would say, right. though, I feel like the Dungeons & Dragons Saturday morning cartoon show was fairly successful because... They kind of translated the idea Stuart's talking about, where it was a group yeah. of people, a group of friends who were like, had to live out the roles in the game, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so it, well, it had a little look, bit of that feeling. Yet again, by not needing to take a breath and breathing through uh, the gills on his uh, uh, neck, Elliot has scooped me. Because I was going to say that I think that the closest thing to his success was that, because for the, that very reason, it was the idea that these adventurers were sucked into this game and... Uh, you know, like had to had to take on the, these characteristics of these classes that existed because 
if you remove the interactivity, what are you left with? You're left with a world that was heavily influenced by Tolkien, and we already have good Tolkien movies with the story uh-huh. uh, added, not just the world. And some so, songs. Yeah, some, you know, some great <laughs> tunes that I assume Stu has on his, uh, his iPod shuffle for uh-huh. runs at the gym. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I agree I'm with everything people have said. I mean, I'd also say I don't think any of the Dungeons & Dragons things have had owlbears in them. Yep, that's mm. actually a good point. I mean, and also like uh, like Kieran Gillen's comic Die is basically kind of like a like a more modern take on that kind of a uh, the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Like, you know, gamers sucked into the game. Uh, moving on to uh, a letter from Naja, last name with you forgot. We forgot to answer the question on oh, how the, to make a successful make version one? of that, and well, obviously what do you got in your head. That is Conan uh, the Destroyer. The second of the Conan movies is okay. the closest thing to an actual D and D session uh, in you know in game form or in uh, movie form. Uh, it seems like it seems like the oh, Dungeons God. and Dragons stuff. There, like they're, uh, they're it also there's kind of like a I want they're like running away from the things that Dungeons and Dragons fans like about Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, in because it's like we got to make a Dungeons and Dragons movie, but we don't make it to be like a nerdy movie. Whereas yeah. like you just steer like, into it like it's like superhero saying. comics for a while where superhero movies for a while where they're like okay so we're gonna we're gonna do a superhero movie but we're gonna make them look cool and you're like uh they already look cool i like mm. the way they look at the comic book just make them look like that well it's, it, when they finally realized like oh spider-man has an amazing costume we don't have to make changes too much to it yeah, you yeah. know or like captain america there's a reason captain america's been wearing the same clothes for 80 years but yeah the uh and, and yeah, then they, they can look but then that can go crazy when you have Han Solo wearing the same clothes for 40 years. And it's like, I think he would change the vest at some point. But the uh, there's a, there's like a feeling of, um, like with the Lord of the Rings movies, that like one of the reasons they're so successful is because they really go for it on the level of the Lord of the Rings story. And it's yeah. not like, okay, this is kind of a, a nerdy story, so let's put in some, let's undercut it with gags to, <laughs> yeah. to bring other people. Yeah, like, Instead, I know the cave troll showed up, cue the music. Cut my life in two pieces. <laughs> <laughs> so instead, it's like, oh, we love this story. Like, let's do this story to the hilt, you know? So yeah. that's what you do. You do a Dungeons and Dragons movie that's super taking Dungeons and Dragons seriously, and you hire Stuart to write it. Uh huh. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, me and my producing partner, partner Joe Manganiello. And you have you have uh, all the those household name beloved character stories mentioning, like Zazapoff and and yep. and yep. Uh, D- Digimon and. Mm-hmm. And uh, yep. and mm-hmm. what, what uh, yep. Hieronymus Gorman? Yeah, Abe Vigoda. So this next letter goes like this. It's customary for me to tell a bedtime story to my three kids, ages three, five, and nine each night. And I tend to just make it up as I go instead of actually reading something. I try to come up with funny-sounding names for characters and couldn't resist using Rocket Crocodile. My kids keep demanding, tell us more about the crocodile, Daddy. (laughs) So RC has become the main protagonist recently. To keep it kid-friendly, I've decided to omit all the Gina Gershon stuff that Elliot stipulated in Rocket's origin story. Hmm. As of last night's episode... What about about the Carla Gugino stuff? (laughs) I I only assume that it's still in there, based on the the letter of the law. As as of uh, last night's episode, Rocket Crocodile has found himself trying to escape the pursuit of the villainous Sith donkey, Darth Mule, as he navigates a Star Wars-adjacent galaxy. 
Um, and that's from Nadja, last name withheld. Now that uh, now that Star Wars is under the same umbrella as Marvel, I guess Darth Mule would be part of the Spider Ham universe, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Say they. I hope they have that joke in the sequel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I love that. I love that letter. I think that's super sweet. And you will be hearing from my lawyers <laughs> to tell you that you think it's super sweet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'd like to ask the court to uh, to uh, serve a writ of super sweetness. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, that uh, rivals uh, 16th birthday party for its super sweetness. Mm-hmm. We're serving a writ for... of habeas awe. <laughs> Um, so now we are on to the last segment where we recommend movies that we enjoyed for non-silly reasons. Let's say it that way. Um, I'm going to say that I, uh, was curious about the new Charlie's Angels movie directed by Elizabeth Banks and starring, uh, Kristen Stewart and some other people who are less famous, so I've forgotten who they are. Apologies to them. They did a great job. There's, there was uh, no way for you to find out that information. <laughs> no way at all. Um, I thought it was a lot of fun. It was it was a movie that combined some genuine hangout comedy with much like better and more clearly choreographed action movies than I was expecting out of a Charlie's Angels reboot. And Kristen Stewart is just a delight in the movie. She seems to be having so much fun. She gets saddled with so many like mopey roles sometimes that I think she was just relishing being this kind of offbeat action hero. And I, I, it got a lot more uh, shit than I think it should have by far. I think mostly from maybe male movie critics who are like, this is like too overt in it's feminist messaging or something. And I think that they are just not realizing how much of uh, sort of male-targeted action movies are male wish fulfillment, and not examining that, like, you know, maybe you're you're not uh, realizing that it's fine. It's fine for us both to get some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I just uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, a lot more fun, kind of action blockbuster than I thought it would be. Charlie's Angels. Uh, I'm going to recommend uh, recommend a movie I don't think has been recommended by us before. Uh, I'm going to recommend the recent movie Palm Springs, uh, starring Andy Samberg, and uh, I think I'm going to pronounce this right, Kristen Milioti? I don't uh, know. Kristen Milioti, I think. Milioti, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I feel like, a very apt movie to watch at a time like this, uh, kind of a movie about being stuck in one place and being stuck in, you know, uh, a repetitive cycle. Uh, it's a comedy, but it's also kind of dark. Uh, I don't want to go too much into the plot details because I think that's part of the fun of the movie. Uh, but everybody is very winning, uh, and it I feel like it's a movie that deserves an Academy Award for casting characters based on their eyebrows matching up so that you can tell they're all related. Uh, I mean, if you're going to cast Peter Gallagher in a movie, you're like, everyone else has to also have great eyebrows. Uh, And speaking of Academy Awards, it also features Lifetime Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. J.K. Simmons is in the movie as well. He is not playing his iconic role of J. Jonah Jameson, 
uh, the movie that he, the role that won him that award. Uh, no, nope. in, in my apartment, uh, <laughs> <laughs> not not the movie that won him the award, and also the supporting actor is not a lifetime award. It's uh, it's mm, awarded for I a mean, specific role. I mean, yeah, but you can win that award every year, right? For the same role, even if you're not in a movie based on, with that character, right? Not how the award works, no. I mean, but I could watch that movie this year, so I don't see why he couldn't win it, Elliot. That's I mean, a good Elliot, point. That's a for, good point. For the past, uh, you know, since the 80s or whenever that movie came out, best movie named after a type of animal has gone to the bear over and over again. So I don't know what you're talking about. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not an award, not an award <laughs> and also the movie won zero Academy Awards. <laughs> the way that Elliot just stared at me blankly after I said that. <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah, so Palm Springs, <laughs> the movie, watch it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to recommend a movie that uh, I don't know if Stuart has seen, but if he hasn't seen, I would specifically recommend it to him because I think okay. he would like it a lot. Uh, this is a movie from 1988 from New Zealand called The Navigator, A Medieval Odyssey. Uh, oh, it's, no. cur- it's currently streaming on Canopy. Uh, and it, there is a, an English village in the 14th century that is worried that the Black Death will soon be visiting them. And they decide that the only way to keep the plague away from their village is for a mission to uh, set up a cross, to, for them to uh, take some, uh, was it copper? Take copper to a, to a forge to make a cross and put it up at a church in a, in a big town. And so this group of guys being guided by a young boy who has visions and seems to be able to tell them where to go, go on this mission, and what happens to them, I don't want to say, even though every description of the movie kind of gives it away. But uh, it goes into what could have turned into a ridiculous or goofy plot, but which actually uh, felt stayed stuck with the tone that it starts with in the beginning, which is kind of like um, medieval austerity. So anyway, it's a medieval movie with a big twist in the middle that I won't tell you what it is, but it's The Navigator, A Medieval Odyssey. Okay, I'll check it out. That sounds awesome. You'll find uh, out what the twist is instantly because it's in all the descriptions on okay. anywhere you see about it. But uh, before we get into our uh, goodbyes, as uh, a small temper comes to an end, mm-hmm. I want to um, uh, thank, in particular, for this episode, Peter Kaplowski, who uh, is one of the guys who brought us to Toronto for a live yeah. show, and is a film programmer who uh, 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 alerted us to the existence of Deadly Lessons. So I want to give credit where that's due. I want to thank our editor, Jordan Cowling, who uh, does a great job for us every week. Oh, but yeah. as I said... Jordan, uh, Jordan, to celebrate, can you uh, can you just loop in that gavel sound with the Elliot nodding <laughs> clip again? Yeah. It's, uh, it's not really a celebratory sound, the, a gavel. <laughs> if you're hearing that, it's probably bad news. So, well, it's I mean, a gavel that has an air horn attached to it. So every jo- time you Jordan hit it. also <laughs> edit out all of Elliot and Dan's bullshit just there. <laughs> I mean, then I'm going to be left with nothing, Stuart. That's all that I do. I will say, Jordan, um, Jordan really, like, she, uh, our, the last mini that we did, it was a quick turnaround mini, and I could not stick a final bit that I was trying to do. So she had a lot of, a lot of editing to figure out. So thank you very much, Jordan, for doing that. Uh, but as I said, small timber is coming to an end, but but cry not because Shocktober is just around the corner. And um, I wanted uh, to tease that for all the people who are asking on Twitter and Instagram, uh, we announced that one of our guests for Shocktober will be uh, Gillian Flynn. 
It is, in fact, that Gillian Flynn of uh, Gone Girl and Sharp Objects and Mm -hmm. uh, Dark Places and other uh, stuff. Uh, I could not be more excited. I know we could all not be more excited. Uh, So that's a tease. Um, Unless something unforeseen happens uh she'll be on to i mean i, I can't guarantee oh, i can't dan, I don't by think... a threat <laughs> yeah. well, I I like you don't need to hedge against the, acts of god dan the world may you know i i, I every morning i'm every night i'm like uh i can't guarantee that the sun will uh rise next morning but mm-hmm. uh hey I think it's... you know what dan if if there's a catastrophe of some kind i don't yeah. think people's first thought would be well dan said there'd be another flop house so i'm gonna hold him to it well, I'm yeah. well. I'm running across the uh, running across the wasteland from these oil <laughs> oil hunting biker gangs because yeah. civilization has collapsed. I'm not going to hold a special piece of anger just for Dan because he told me there'd be a flop house no matter what. You know, I used to think that it was ridiculous in Mad Max that you know this gasoline short society was so based around cars. But now that I've seen how dumb people are during the actual apocalypse that's going on, I'm like, yeah. okay, sure, it checks out. Um, but none of you listeners. No, you're all you're all you're all doing great. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> National treasures, every one of you. Um, so that's this a little tease for the hedge and bets. <laughs> Mr. Hedge, they call me. Um, tweet about us. Put us on iTunes. Well, don't put us on iTunes. We're already there. Just rate us. <laughs> no, review us on iTunes. Review us on iTunes. Uh, feel free Positively, to tweet about us. Despite. My recent babble. Please make tell, it positive. Help us, help us spread the word about this goofy show. Although I don't know why. After after <laughs> what well, after what we've been hearing lately. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, on that note, for the Flophouse, I've been Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalen. Bye. On this episode, we discuss Deadly Lessons. Featuring me, Tom Brokaw. Just kidding, it's Elliot, I'm back. (laughs) MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.